Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. Today, we're delighted to welcome David Nellis and Christian Serra, two current economic students from the Zeppelin University of Friedrichshafen in Germany, who, on the basis of their recent book, can also comfortably be called geographers for the purpose of this podcast series. Their book, Small Gases, Big Effect, is a bite-sized, robust and factual publication that has been praised in the Times for its precise and rational explanation of global warming and generally has received significant praise in the media. The new scientists commented, for example, that the book explains climate change with the help of more than 100 scientists, presenting complex science in a way that everyone will find easy to understand. It's also described in the Times as a surprise bestseller. Welcome to you both, Christian and David. Hi. I'd like to start by picking up on my introduction by asking simply, were you surprised by the success of the book? (laughs) Yeah, honestly, we were absolutely surprised. Um, especially because when we started our research, climate change was no top, no big topic at all. By that time, nobody knew about Greta Thunberg or Fridays for Future. So uh, the answer is yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, if you're sitting in a room for about uh, two years and writing your book, you truly hope that a lot of people will read it, but um, that it once will be the most selling book about climate change in uh, Germany, that's truly surprising. And approximately how many copies have you now sold? Right now, more than 350,000 books in Germany alone. That is amazing. Can we go back a stage and hear a little about you both? Um, What were you doing when you had the idea for this book? And how did your collaborative work on it come about? Uh, Can we start with Christian first? Yeah, sure. I mean... Um, Our journey started about five years ago. It was kind of a crazy idea. David and I were sitting in the canteen of our university and we were talking about climate change. But to be honest, we had to realize that we did not really know what was really going on. So is climate change really man-made? Is it really that worse? Or is everything just a joke? And so we wanted to really know, okay, What is it that makes people so scared of climate change? And is it really real? So we were looking for a book that explains everything in very short sentences. Because as students, to be honest, we don't want to read huge textbooks. And then we realized, oh, there are no books out there like the ones we are looking for. And I mean, holidays were coming. And we thought, oh, we could try to write such a book on our own. And that's how everything started. And David, what's your side of the story? Yeah, my side. uh, um, It's just we wrote this book because we had no clue about climate change. And after we did, uh, did the research and we understood how complex and how important this topic is, uh, we say to each other, we have to explain it to as many people as possible. So that's where it started. The book has received widespread acclaim. You're credited in the Times as having won over politicians, bankers and sceptics. What is it about your book, do you think, that has persuaded people to either rethink their opinions on global warming or simply to understand the facts a a bit better? 
Yeah, I think it's um, most of the time when people are skeptic about something, they do not really understand effects or they have not already informed themselves. So what is it that makes our book that um, appealing is that we try to break everything into very short sentences and to bring the things to the point. So you can really understand what is going on. Why is climate change man-made? Why is it that worse? And um, how do we or how should we act? And if people understand the basic facts behind climate change, they are able to interpret public discussions. They are able to rethink their personal um, opinion. And maybe this changes their behavior. Are there any particular reactions that you'd like to share that were given towards the book? Yeah, one uh, actually pretty funny thing is uh, a member of the German parliament called me and he told me he was very, very skeptic about climate change and he even described himself as a climate change denier. But then he told us after he read our book, uh, for the first time he saw the facts crystal clear and therefore changed his mind completely about climate change. And that's exactly, that's a perfect, perfect example of what we want to do. We just want to explain the facts and then want people to think uh, about climate change. And uh, so we were very surprised that even a member of the parliament called us. Uh, clearly, uh, getting published by Penguin is a major achievement in itself. Uh, they summarize your research as being corroborated by over 100 scientists. And the book Small Gases, Big Effect summarizes all the latest findings on the causes and effects of climate change. How did you begin to reach out and contact everyone? It's such a huge project. I can't imagine how, how you would start it. <laughs> well, we started to do a huge research, which took us way longer than we thought in the beginning. So we, we read the whole IPCC report, more than, I think, three or 4,000 pages we read many textbooks, hundreds of, and, uh, of other scientific articles. And after that, we realized if you want to make everything 100% scientific true that you write in our book, we have to talk to experts. So we wrote emails, we called scientists in Germany and all over the world. We told them what's, what's our idea about this book. And um, unfortunately, everyone told us, such a great idea, we are willing to support you. That's great. Did it did it take much effort to persuade Penguin to publish the book? Uh, to be honest, not really. Um, we are supported by a foreign agent who is trying to help us spread the knowledge from our book around the world. And uh, she told us that Penguin uh, really loved the book from um, the first minute on because everybody is realizing that climate change is happening and people are interested in it. And then if they saw such a book um, explaining it very shortly with vivid illustrations, yeah, they <laughs> said, yeah, we would like to publish it, <laughs> of course. Can you tell us a little about what you're trying to achieve through your remarkable book, uh, perhaps expanding on your reference to inspiring even more people to prioritize environmental and climate protection? Why is this issue particularly important to you individually? Yeah, uh, maybe... Uh, I will make it a little bit philosophical and then I go to back in my past because I grew up in a village, a village where, where I was surrounded by agriculture, animals. We played in the forest, went for a swim in the river. And I just really enjoy being in nature, going for a walk, hiking, biking and so on. 
And I would say I feel very connected to nature. And that's why I try everything to protect it so my children and grandchildren can also enjoy, enjoy the same beautiful nature as I do. Yeah, and then I mean, at some point during our research, um, at first we started because we wanted to know for ourselves why is climate change a problem. And then when we realized how huge the problem is, we wanted to spread that knowledge to as much people as possible. And that's what uh, yeah, motivates us every day. We can't expect you to give us all the facts in, in such a short podcast, but could you give us some of the, the take-home messages that you'd like to highlight about climate change uh, to someone who hasn't yet had the chance to read the book? Yeah, I mean, um, first thing um, that uh, one really has to state out is that there is no doubt about that uh, climate change is really man-made. I mean, um, it's happening everywhere. A lot of people think that climate change is just something far away or just about melting glaciers and rising sea levels. But climate change is happening here. It is happening during more heavier precipitation, stronger weather extremes, more drought. And it infects everybody of us during um, the health impacts. So climate change can be seen as the single most threat to our health in the 21st century. And I guess that's one of the biggest misconceptions that people think, oh, climate change is only affecting people, for example, in poorer countries. Yeah, maybe there's one thing I would like to add, uh, to add because uh, for me, one of the most important factors as it gets warmer and warmer, climate change forces people to leave their homes and to migrate in order to get just out of the heat. And um, the migration of millions of people will cause many conflicts all around the world and can even destabilize, uh, destabilize many regions, which is not just a sentence from an ap apocalyptic climate activist. Um, that's also what the Pentagon in the United States says. Christian, you, you mentioned a moment ago that uh, you have no doubt that climate change is man-made. And David, you said earlier that uh, you've read the whole of the IP. PCC 4000 page report. Mm -hmm. <laughs> can, I, can I ask you uh, simply, are we in the Anthropocene? And could you uh, maybe uh, explain to the listeners first what it is and then are we and then answer the question, are we in it? Yeah, the Anthropocene uh, means that we live in a modern uh, ice age or other natural uh, phenomena which shape the earth. Uh, today, for the last uh, 200 years we live in the Anthropocene, which means the the Earth is shaped by human activities, almost entirely by human activities. So we actually kind of dominate, try to dominate nature uh, for the first time in the history of the Earth. That's what we call the Anthropocene. Uh, thank you, David. And Christian, could you could you um, perhaps label or identify one anthropogenic gas being worse than another? Or is, are they all equally terrible? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't think that we can say that one greenhouse gas is uh, worse than the other. Um, what is maybe a problem is that in the public debate, most of the time we are talking about um, carbon dioxide, which is emitted by, for example, in burning fossil fuels like coal or oil. But if we forget the other greenhouse gases like methane that is emitted by um, ruminants, we will um, not be able to solve climate change. So I guess all the gases are worse equally. But um, yeah, the problem is only if we forget to um, talk about every greenhouse gas. 
it's a of course a, a dangerous pitfall just to focus on on carbon dioxide i completely agree talking of pitfalls please could you share with us one or two of the common misconceptions that you may have encountered when talking to others about climate change or, or engaging with climate change deniers that uh, I think, David, you mentioned earlier, might even be in the, in the German government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and fortunately, yes. Uh, yeah, I think the most common misconception in the, which you can read on Facebook very often is the claim that 0.0% is the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. And there are many people say that's not enough to make a difference. Um, but we have, what you have to understand is it's not always about the, quanti the quantity of something. It's also about the reaction. So, for example, if you take a glass of water with the same concentration of arsenic, you will see that 0.04% make a huge difference. In fact, it will take a few days and you are dead. So just because of this little amount, it's still... Um, there's the re there's the proof. Sorry, I, I should say it differently. So just because there's just a sorry, there's the concentration of CO2 CO2 of 0.04% in the atmosphere, which is true, but zero, uh, CO2 has the ability to keep the the uh, what's what's heat heat radiate uh, yeah, heat radiation. The, the heat radiation uh, in the Earth system and all the other gases in the atmosphere, like oxygen, do not have this ability. So that's why CO2 is so important. Yeah, and I mean, um, also a lot of people think that there is no real proof of greenhouse gas effect, so that everything is just a theory. But uh, yeah, I mean, that is definitely wrong. I mean, we are able to measure the greenhouse gas effect with satellites in space since decades. And I guess that's a very good example for people who are skeptic about greenhouse gas effect because measuring something um, with technical equipment like a satellite is really a convincing argument. It looks as if you've had the chance to speak at conferences, you've appeared on TV and featured in the press and the wider media. How has that experience been for you? both as, as undergraduates, and how important has it been in sharing your message? Well, it's, it's just a pleasure. It's so much fun for us, and sharing our knowledge and making people aware is the most important thing for us, because the basis for stopping climate change is when people are informed and willing to change the system to really make a difference. And we can only make it together, not against each other. And that's exactly where we want to make our contribution. Yeah, and maybe um, one thing I would like to add at first, um, or if we had our first um, presentations in media or TV shows, um, it was kind of disappointing because everybody was only interested in the story behind our book and in our success, but people were not interested in the facts about climate change. But then after some um, media appearances, we realized that maybe that's the big um, chance of media because um, using our story that we are just two normal students, that we are also interested in the topic, that we were not informed, we informed ourselves and we would like to spread this knowledge can truly motivate people um, to make the same effort to inform themselves or to buy our book and to inform themselves. And therefore, um, media is just great. 
and hopefully we can go some way to help you <laughs> with that as well. <laughs> as a learned society, it's important to us that uh, we do share important details about climate change to young people through our schools program and indeed to everyone through our wider work in a factual, measured and engaging manner. Given that you've managed to do that so well through your book, have you got any advice for us actually about engaging, upskilling uh, or enabling young people to make a real difference without being too sensationalist to help save the planet? Yeah, I mean, um, one thing that is maybe most important is not to tell people um, how they can contribute very specifically to climate change. So don't tell them what they have to do. Um, you should enable them to um, to be able to contribute to the solution um, with every part of their daily life. So don't tell them, oh, um, now we lead a lot of um, persons campaigning on the street. Um, just show them how they can contribute in their individual situation. So, for example, as a student, if you would like to become a lawyer, um, that's completely fine. And you can maybe work in the field of environmental protection. Or if another student wants to or loves cooking, then he can um, cook climate-friendly meals. So you can combine um, climate protection with what you love doing. And this gives you kind of a purpose for your life, um, which is really um, great. What would you say, um, what would you like to say to anyone who is in any doubt about the reality of climate change and its consequences? Well, I would say it's totally fine um, for people to be skeptic about topics when uh, you're not into it. So that's in the first place, that's totally fine. So I would just recommend read scientific articles, do your research and look at the facts. And I'm pretty sure when you look at the scientific facts, um, then you will know already enough and you will convince yourself that we have to change something. For those who just don't want to believe in climate change and those people who are just don't want to see the facts, so you can, you cannot help those people. It's And you discussing with them is pretty hard, believe me. I bet, yeah. Equally, what would you say to someone who says, there's nothing I can do, it's too late, uh, I can't stop living my life, or worse to that effect, uh, someone who's a fatalist? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say if nobody tries to make a change, then there is no change. And we should not forget that we are not alone. Many people all around the world are trying to protect the climate in their daily lives, lives even in politics or in companies. And in general, there's so much we can win. Climate protection is not about stop living your life. When you eat more vegetables, when you walk more, when you go by bike, you live healthier, you just feel better. So there's so much more to win. And just to give you an example, this morning I had to go to the city and I did not take a car with because I don't have a car. So <laughs> I took a bike, birds were singing, sun was shining, and I, joined, I just enjoyed being outside. And it's just a win for myself when I try to protect the climate. On that note, what are your visions for our future way of life, particularly with reference to sustainable actions and, and the role of technology, as you just said, David, with cycling rather than driving a car? Are, are there any other environmental issues you think we need to highlight alongside climate change? Yeah, I mean, it's always necessary to include um, actions against climate change into a brighter um, kind of framework, like um, acting on the loss of biodiversity, 
But um, I think the biggest challenge is to combine um, action against climate change um, with helping developing countries to develop and to gain um, a healthier way of, no, not, not a healthier way of living, that's wrong, um, and to also develop to the, uh, I, I started, um, how is it called, um, not developing country, uh, a developing country and it's a sustainable way of life. Yeah, yeah, um, it's. Uh, I'll just start it. Um, I think um, you always have to put climate change uh, or to combine climate change actions against climate change um, into a brighter framework, like um, acting on the loss of biodiversity. And especially, you have to help developing countries um, develop in a sustainable way, because I mean, all these countries will um, or are striving to achieve a better way of living. The only question is, will they choose the same way as we did by burning fossil fuels and coal and oil? Or will we help them to sustainable directly with um, renewable energy and, uh, for example, healthy, sustainable meats? And if we fail to um, face this question, then I guess we'll lose the fight against climate change. And that is really important. What would you say to someone anywhere in the world who feels passionately about raising awareness of climate change, but perhaps doesn't know how to share that passion? Uh, I think you should always start to connect with other people. Uh, when you're at school or at university, you can talk to other students about their feelings of climate change or other environmental issues. Because what uh, Christian and I discovered, because we did it together in the beginning, it just makes way more fun when you do it with other people. So it's way more uh, motivating. And in the end, you will have a way bigger impact. So what you have to do is to connect with other people. Finally, can I ask what's next for you both? We're, we're all very interested in what you plan to do in the future. Yeah, at the moment we are writing our second book about climate change. Um, this time it's all about the solutions because now David and I um, don't want to talk um, most of our time about the problem. We would like to talk about the solution and we would also like to um, contribute um, to um, limit global warming by supporting those peoples that are facing very big problems with um, climate solutions by spreading our knowledge, by connecting them with scientists, and so um, work on limiting global warming. That's what we are doing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we are also going to start a YouTube channel by the end of the year, maybe even in English. Um, and we're getting more and more involved with politicians, companies, and we will discuss with them what they can do protect, to protect the climate. And so, yeah, as you can see, we are not done yet. So we'll look out for the YouTube channel and, and a follow-up book, I'm pleased to, <laughs> pleased to hear. Thank you both very much for joining us today. David and Christian's book, Small Gas's Big Effect, is available now from all popular UK booksellers. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.
rgs.org schools.